Welcome to Swanglinese, the only podcast talking the language of business here in the Middle East. Your hosts, Barry Lee Cummings and Oscar Andermo, give you their own insights as well as interviewing business leaders in the region to help you on your entrepreneurial journey. Barry, Oscar, let's talk Swanglinese. Hello, everybody, and a very warm welcome to this episode of Swanglinese. This week in the virtual studio, I have the pleasure of being joined by Madav, and he is the co-founder and CEO of an organization called Zazen Properties. Um, but before we get to that, we're going to go back in time. Hi, Madav, how are you? Very well. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, absolute pleasure. Um, as always with our our, um, our guests on the podcast, we like to ask them to roll back the, the, the time, uh, roll back the clock a little bit, and just tell us a bit about you uh, in terms of your your professional journey where it started i've obviously seen some of the background and the biography but our listeners really love to hear where and how you got into what you're doing uh, i know for a fact that you've worked for other people uh, as well yes. and then how that transition has has gone on so take us back as far as you like yeah so look um it's um like everything in life it's a little bit of luck a lot of preparation and timing um for me particularly i was fortunate enough to you know, sort of be born in UAE, grew up between boarding school in Canada, England, and India, mm-hmm. and uh, made my way back after about, I left UAE when I was seven, came back when I was 26. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I think, is a, is a strong part of how I approach business in general. Uh, I, I was lucky enough to grow up within four different cultures at the same time, mm-hmm. uh, learn the nuances of each, learn how to communicate with different people at different levels, sort of work my way up all the way from the bottom. So when I started, I started in, I have a degree in finance and marketing, but I started in advertising. Typical, you know, in university, you're not sure what you want to do. Um, I started in advertising as an account manager, um, worked my way up. I was leading HTC for the region here when HTC smartphones were a big thing, you know, six, seven years ago. and that was for the entire region. I worked on accounts like Citibank. And if you're a UAE person, you know, Jumbo Electronics, uh, worked on them. And real estate was part of my portfolio when I was within advertising. So advertising was beneficial for me because it it's a lot of pressure. You know, you're dealing mm-hmm. with multiple industries. You are basically the marketing representative for these Um, different organizations across industries and you need to execute plans and ideas and creative in a very timely and efficient fashion. Mm -hmm. Um, Damac was one of my clients. I guess I worked well for them because I was then sort of headhunted into Damac uh, Mm -hmm. to manage part of their marketing and mainly their international international marketing strategies and expansion. Um, As an example, we we had a, um, a launch of a new master development and we were all invited to go see the new plot that was purchased. And we were given a deadline of 45 to 60 days to come up with the name, come up with the idea, come up with the creative, come up with the media plan, and then launch it in 60 countries at the same time. Wow. So, you know, these are pressure situations and you only get better when you work under pressure, pressure situations, you only learn to deal with things that can go wrong because something will definitely go wrong. How you prepare mm-hmm. makes you able to deal with the big ones and the small ones. Usually if you prepared well, there are only small mistakes. 
Um, and then you can handle them and you manage them. But this pressure situation, whether it was through my advertising days leading up to getting into real estate, um, it, it helped me a lot. It helped me grow. It helped me learn to deal with people within you know, Russia and India and Kenya and Nigeria all at the same time. Mm-hmm. So not only do you get an understanding of the markets, because you need to say, okay, as a market, how is Africa different from Europe, different from India? What product mm-hmm. works in each of these? What price point works in each of these? And then within the country, each city is also a little bit different. So mm-hmm. like I said, you know, I think my upbringing had played a big role um, in how I managed these situations, how I dealt with people. But I, I went from sort of advertising hardcore across retail, healthcare, payments, real estate, and um, banking. These were the different industries I was managing in, in um, advertising. Then I went into real estate full-time. I um, enjoyed working in real estate because it gave me the ability to learn how to, not convince is not the right word, but how to explain to people the importance of making that investment because Mm. the average person will invest in real estate once in their life, maybe twice if they're lucky, right? Right. Um, So how can you cater to their needs? What do you need to do for them? That's the mindset I went into it with. Um, I spent time at my first organization then I was headhunted into another great organization, probably one of the best places I've worked um, called the First Group. Again, Mm -hmm. a Dubai-based organization one of the best management teams I've, I've had the pleasure of working with. And over there, I was the director of marketing. So I was basically the second in charge um, of the entire marketing team globally. And I was also responsible to help them set up and open offices in different cities around the world. Um, what, what I learned there is, you know, the right structure, the right motivation. How do you get people to combine and work together in a productive way. And I think that's so important. As you move up the ladder in any, whether you're working right now or you start your own business, the key is bringing people together and motivating them towards one goal. And that's not as easy as it sounds. You know, when I was an account manager, I'd be sitting there and saying, oh, you know, the people at the top, they're just enjoying lives, you know, making Mm -hmm. decisions and expecting everyone to run around. But those decisions at the top especially when you're dealing with other investors, investment banks, or people who've invested into your organization, if it's a large organization, you need to be able to convince them, get them on the right track, execute a clear idea all the way down from the office boy, all the way to the CEO or COO. Everyone needs to have sort of one vision to work towards. So I learned, I saw a lot of that. I saw, you know, how to do it correctly. And, um, like I said, right place, right time. I um, With Zazen Properties, it was 2018. I had finished about three years at the first group. And, uh, you know, I had, a, I had an idea of what was missing in the market. I, and I'm a Dubai kid. I, I was born here. Yes, I didn't live here most of my life, but I would come back twice, you know, a year to visit my family. So I knew Dubai. I knew the soul of it, the essence of it. And... For me, I said, look, how is Dubai going to grow over the next 10, 15, 20 years? You know, the leadership team, you have to realize what they have done in 50 years 
other major cities take hundreds of years to do. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. People don't realize that. People take it for granted and they want things immediately. So mm. if, you know, you say, oh, the economy is not doing well, it's a recession, click of a finger, they want it all sorted out. But it doesn't work that way. You know, they've put into plan the 2040 plan, which is urbanizing Dubai, making it one of the best cities to live and work. Uh, they've put in a 2030 industrial plan uh, to make sure that as a country, as an economy, we focus more on exporting and manufacturing internally than we do on importing. Again, that these are big, big decisions. These decisions will see fruition in five years, in seven years, not immediately, right? It takes time to set it up, put into rules and regulations into place, so on and so forth. So with that in mind, I had an idea of what was missing. Um, to spell it out, I thought that for the general customer, right, the average Joe, there is no property on the market which is a mix of good quality, good location, good facilities, and sustainable, and the mm. most important thing, affordable, right? right? This mix was just not happening. And it happens in mature markets. It doesn't happen in nascent markets. As Dubai was growing within real estate, we, me, I sort of predicted that, okay, now is going to move to an end user market where people will want to invest because it's no longer a transient city. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the typical adage of people come here and they say, oh, I'll be here three years, make a little bit of money, save a little bit of money and leave. 15 years later, they have three kids and, you know, all in school. So prime example. There we go. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, I, it was very clear to me that this is where the market was moving. And um, a lot of research went into saying, all right, this is where the next wave of construction is happening. This is what is missing, you know, within the mix of units that are available. And this is the sort of segment that we want to cater to. So this was a plan from the start, right? Mm -hmm. It's not something that we said, all right, let's start a company and figure it out. No, mm -hmm. we said, this is what we want to cater to. Yes, um, Dubai being a younger market, people may not understand the benefit of being sustainable. But I believe we were right, at least partially till now, because that's how the government is shifted. That's how the world is shifted. You know, mm. you want to be sustainable. You want to be energy efficient. You want to be all these things. But the inventory currently in the market was all designed five, eight, 10 years ago. Mm. Right? So they're not catering to this segment and they're not making it affordable. So You've noticed in Dubai the last, I guess, nine months, there have been so many new launches. People yeah. have gone crazy buying townhouses and villas. Um, you know, my worry there is in two and a half years, when all these off-plan projects are ready, you know, we're going to have 5,000 villas in the market, mm. right? Well, what is going to happen then? So, you know, there's, there's a give and take. Obviously, a lot of government-backed developers are going to take advantage of the boom. Why not? That's what the boom is there for. Um, but what is the smartest way to do this, knowing that as a private developer, we have limited funds, we're not government backed, we don't have unlimited, you know, debt mm -hmm. or money or cash flow. Um, so how do we do this smartly? I was very fortunate to find like minded investors. Uh, you know, I was very, very fortunate. I was very, or we were very clear with each other, that this is the plan we agree on. This is the type of product we want to create. And this is what we want to build in Dubai, not to make a profit, 
but how we want to help people in Dubai live for the next 10, 15 years, mm-hmm. right? It's a mindset from the start. And I know people will think, oh, you know, that's pretty much BS. You just want to make some money on the side. Yes, of course we want to make money. But believe you me, if you come and see our first project, which is in um, Jumeirah Village Triangle, it's called Zazen One, because we wanted to leverage branding. But if you come and see it, you will realize, or any other developer will realize, that I'm making, or we are making less money than any other developer would. For example, we have 86 units on this plot. Right. Any other developer would have 150 units on the same plot, mm. right? Okay. In our project, we have a jogging track, a residence lounge, a temperature control pool, a private study area, rooftop barbecue, a community gardening station, solar panels to help reduce your service charge and common area cost. You typically find these within a bigger development, like you do springs or greens or whatever it is, mm-hmm. master communities. Yeah, We try to get the concept of community within a building. And okay. that is what we're trying to build for the future because we believe that, look, uh, COVID is here. Maybe we're at the last legs. Maybe we see another year of it until everyone's pretty much better. Yeah. But things will keep popping up. And you want to be in a situation where you're connected and able to do multiple things from where you are, right? There's an app for everything now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, makes people lazy, makes people very sort of not self-obsessed, but confined within their own world. And yep. we want to bring back community living. We want to be able to say, you know what? I know my neighbor. I, I know I can go and come back from work and go to the pool and hang out or go play snooker in the residence lounge and hang out with my neighbors. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. So as a brand, we wanted to create larger units, which is actually livable. You know, mm-hmm. we want people to say, okay, if I invest in this space, I know I can live here for the next 10 years as my family grows. Mm-hmm. And similarly, as an investor, if you want to come into this space, yes, you know, you typically investor focused projects are small units. Um, But we said, no, we'll make them bigger because we need to educate the investor that when you buy a unit with us or any other developer who has a similar concept, the ROI is held. Because even in a down market, when you have a building like this with so many facilities, people will not get up and leave for something cheaper or something newer, right? Because Mm -hmm. such projects don't exist right now and they will not exist at least we have a three-year head start before someone builds the same. Sure. So that's the idea. Um, you know, and I mean, my journey and your question was, how did I start my journey? Well, it, again, it's all premised on being put in difficult situations at, at the start of my sort of working environment. Mm-hmm. I guess the boarding school mentality also helps a lot. Um, well, this is actually a good point because I've I, yeah. written this down as something to talk about because I went to boarding school as well from age yeah. 12, 11 until I was 17, until I went on to to, uh, to to university. And I actually wanted to bring it up as a, a specific point in terms of how big an impact does that have on you in your outlook on on life, your ability to go through the the, the journey you've gone through with a very very specific mindset and, and learning and so forth. Do, do you feel that that had a really core, a big part in, in terms of your, your, your character, I suppose, or how you deal with things? 100%. I mean, look, mm. so I went to boarding school when I was seven. All right. right? Okay. Yeah. My parents really didn't like me. 
<laughs> no, no, but so look, um, my boarding school um, in India was an all boys boarding school. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, my grandfather, my father, my uncles, we all went to the same school. So it's tradition. Yeah. And um, I realized that, you know, obviously time changes how the school is. But for me, you know, being put in that environment where you need to fend for yourself, think for yourself, find solutions for yourself is essential. Mm-hmm. And most people who come out of boarding school, I mean, look, everyone won't be as successful as the other person, but their ability to deal with situations is, is much better, right? Yeah. Put them in a tough situation and they will find a solution to it. Yeah, and, agreed. And that, that is the most important thing that you learn. And obviously how to network because, you know, you meet people from different walks of life. Um, and uh, it's, um, it's very clear that these situations, when you're put into it at a younger age, it helps you, it, it molds you you know, as you get into the working world. Yeah, agreed. I think that it is, I mean, it comes back to a point you mentioned before as well, especially about Dubai and being able to manage people within your business and so forth, is that I think that something that you and I have experienced from a very young age is this mixing pot and of, of different people, even as kids from yes. different places, from different backgrounds and how you how you manage that situation, even as a child, in terms of where where am I in the hierarchy? Who's this and what what age group they are and and how do I talk to them? Not just based on their age, but you've got, you know, kids from all different countries coming to the boarding school. You've got yes. them from all different backgrounds. And so you're like, okay, well, what why do they think like that? And then you just get all the I remember from my days, you know, the the, the guys from Asia would come in and they'd have all these cool electronic stuff that you that never is, yeah. see in the UK. Like, well, that's cool. And you, you just start establishing these relationships and the ability to talk to people from different backgrounds with different outlooks, but find common ground. And, and then I a hundred percent agree with you. I think that that then goes all the way through to when you start working and especially in the UA, which is such a melting pot of yes. how do I manage a, a team of, even if it's a team of three people who probably come from, again, just maybe one from the Philippines, one from India, one from somewhere in Europe, and, and then you, you build those out to teams of 10, 20, 50 people, and you've just got probably 10, 20, 50 different countries and yeah. nationalities in that team. And then you take into consideration people's actual characteristics. It's like you can't manage them all the same way. It's impossible. And I, I, I wanted to really ask you about the boarding school side of things because, it's yeah. again, I haven't talked to anyone else yet who has had that background, and I wanted to get your opinion on how, how big an impact that had on your ability to do what you've done. Yeah, I mean, you know, for me um... – it was huge. And um, I know a lot of other people. So my, our network from boarding school is always strong. You know, the friends yeah. you make there, you know, for life, even if you don't see them yeah. for 20 years, you come back to being 16 all over again. So mm-hmm. um, this network extends and you can leverage this network and make sure that even as you progress, um, you know, our network is so strong that I can pick up the phone to someone in Singapore or someone in India or someone in London or New York who's gone to the same school, maybe they've passed out 20 years before me, but when they know that I'm from that school, they're always take the time out to listen. So it's a great way to build a network and learn how to deal with people. Absolutely. Yeah. I think very, very powerful. Something else that um, I I wanted to ask you about that built that sort of links into this is that I know as an aside, you can can correct me if I'm were or are a trained musician and composer, which this Obviously, at first question, do you still play, compose, or do you have time to do that? I suppose it's more the question. No, I don't. You no. know what? My wife and all my friends keep telling me that 
you should stick to it. But I was too busy working. And when I came back to Dubai, I gave it a fair shot. I, um, I, was, uh, I built a studio in my room, in my house. I literally cut out a cupboard and, and built a, uh, a vocal booth. I bought the equipment. I was doing a lot of um, radio jingles, radio ads. And then I was composing music for a lot of local artists in Dubai. Mm -hmm. And we even got like, I remember such a big highlight back then when you're 26. Uh, we opened for like Akon. We opened for Sean Paul. We, we did a lot of cool stuff, you know, awesome. um, at a young age. And um, it was great. Um, but, you know, I, I couldn't live um, on the money I was generating. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, I'm like, okay, you know, you tried this for a couple of years. Um, my strength, I love music and um, it'll always be a part of my life. I push it on my kids. They don't have a choice. But for me, I said, okay, you know, if I want to have a family, if I want to grow myself in Dubai, I need to refocus. And that's fine. That's part of life. Look, yeah. if I hadn't tried it, I would have regretted it. Mm. Right. And, and I was very clear. And I was fortunate to have parents who said, all right, you know, I finished my finance degree. Then I studied music for a year as well when I was mm. in Canada. And um, they, they said, okay. You did well in your degree, uh, you know, go do it. I worked obviously while I was in school um, and uh, I tried it. I have no regrets. I hopefully mm -hmm. maybe in five years, once I've, you know, established this business well enough, I'll, I'll get back into it. Yeah. Well, the reason I bring it up is because uh, from my limited understanding is in order to be a trained musician and composer, that requires also a lot of time and effort to to get and discipline, I guess, is the main word I'm getting towards here. To be able to get to that stage, do you draw on that within the business world as well? Is that is that again something that must be part of who you are? The ability to go through that training and and, and learning to get that. Do you apply that? Do you draw on that into the business side of things? You know, I I, I haven't thought about it, but you're probably right hmm. because I remember. So I'm trained in a classical Indian instrument called a tabla. It's a percussion instrument, okay. and there are two sort of little drums. And you play with your fingers. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember the first two months of me learning when I was all of probably nine or 10 when I started, I was just given one drum and I had to hit my finger in one space to get the right sound for the first two months. Now imagine as a 10 year old, how boring that is <laughs> and how much your finger hurts. Um, you know, it's like from the karate kid, but not martial arts. It's <laughs> more finger arts, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yes, um, to your point, I presume it is that discipline mm -hmm. um, probably has helped set me up, you know, sort of helps me push through barriers, mm -hmm. which is very important. You know, you are going to face obstacles no matter what. To give you a, a, um, a real example, you know, we, when we look, the, the land department in Dubai is, is helpful. You know, they, they try to be very clear in terms of the rules and regulations to set up a license for development. Um, you still need a local partner for that. And, you know, the rules and regulations as Dubai is improving as, as a city, um, you know, and, and the land department is improving their rules or, or optimizing their rules. We were, you know, we had to keep in step with them because mm -hmm. when we went for one thing, you'd go back a month later, there'd be a new regulation and you'd have to go back and change it and adapt to it and find solutions. So, this happens in business. You know, it, it happened to us from the setup phase. We then, I remember, we, you know, we got our building permission. So there's a design phase first, which you have to submit to the authorities. They check everything. 
they approve it, then you apply for construction permission. So they'll say, yes, this is the building. We agree, you've, you've followed all the norms. Everything safety is under control. Now you can start building. We got our building permit in December, 2019. And from January, 2020, we started hearing, you know, the COVID rumors started, yeah. right? And we're like, okay, we've just started. We want to start sales, but, you know, uh, my, my, um, my management team and I, we made a decision, look, let's slow down because we don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Then as the news of COVID started picking up and spreading, uh, we made an immediate decision that, okay, we need to shut down construction, which was in April, 2020. We made the decision in, um, at the end of Feb. So we give them a month's notice, the contracting company. We're like, look, COVID situation. We know that logistics are going to be affected because China is mm-hmm. shut down, yeah. which means that raw material prices are going to go up, um, which means that we're not sure of how each government is going to deal with the lockdown. We're not sure. So we said, because of all these reasons, it's a tough decision, but we need to stop. And we worked it out with our contracting company. Look, most people would said, no, you've made a contract. Yeah. You can't do this. You know, it needs a penalty. No, we talked to them. We got to an understanding. We explained to each other, shut down from April. And I promised them we would start before the end of October, you know, because I predicted it would be about six months. And true to my word, you know, we shut down, they shut the site down, they made sure everything, I mean, nothing was built. We'd only done the groundwork basically. So mm-hmm. no, nothing was built up above the ground, um, covered everything. We paid a nominal amount to keep the site electricity running because we didn't want to shut it down completely. Yeah. And that's it. And then come October, we restarted and both sides were happy. Both sides were confident in the other's ability, mm-hmm. uh, not only to execute, but the trust, yeah. right? That, that's a big thing because Huge, yeah. I'm not talking about small money here, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking 7,500 million dirhams, yeah. right? That's big money. Mm-hmm. So to be able to sit across the table, understand each other's point of view, trust each other, and learn to push through these obstacles together is a big part of business. And that's going to happen on a daily basis, big yeah. scale, small scale, every day. It might be something small with you know, your website code being down one day, or it might be, you know, a crane on your site is broken down and you're you're in a tough spot for two weeks and everything is slowed down. So, you know, there there are always going to be these situations, but communicating and getting on the same page, again, it's got to be mutually beneficial, right? Mm. Same way that, and look, um, I'm not going to take names, but in general, the mindset of, construction and real estate in Dubai has always been to make a buck and bounce, mm-hmm. right? And you ask any layperson, that's what they believe the market to be. And that is exactly what we didn't want to do. So it's mutually beneficial for me or for us as a private developer or other private developers to make less money, right? Because we are giving better quality, better finishing, better facilities, because then the end user benefits as well. So they will be with us long-term. They will trust in our brand long-term because we've agreed to also step on the, on the table or sit on the table and take a cut from our side mm. and say, look, this is what I'm willing to give up. Yeah. Which I think, like you said, it's a, uh, it's a, it's different to what people know of the 
market there in in Dubai in here in Dubai in the UAE that it is you look at the quality of some of the even the master developments that are, are out there you know the, you just have no to look comment. on the groups yeah the, the, <laughs> it is, there's no need to to name names but everybody that lives in Dubai who's lived in any of these there's there's a, a myriad of things that are just not what they expected not what they bought all of the usual stuff so I think that if you can execute on that then it's that's a huge thing because people are definitely looking for it in terms of saying well this actually makes more sense and it doesn't appear like it is a you know, a, a cash grab kind of thing that they're promising the world and, and not quite delivering anywhere near what was yeah. signed off on, what was promised and so forth. But it, it, I think that it's a real mindset shift, like you said, that you've, you've made as the company, but it's also in line with what your market is looking for right now, as in, I us, hope as so. in the buyer. <laughs> yeah, I hope so, because that's what we predicted, you know, two and a half years ago. But look, as markets mature, customers get more savvy, they don't just come in, oh my God, it's Dubai, let's buy, let's buy. It's not that anymore. It wasn't like, it hasn't been like that for the last five, six years anyway. Mm. But people get more mature. And if they want to put roots here, because look, Dubai as a city or UAE as a country, world-class infrastructure. Faster, more efficiently, than any other country in the world, right? Mm. Say what you will, that, that is the truth of what we experienced the last year and a half. And you want to set up roots, and it's safe. So you want to set up roots in a place like that, especially if you're, you know, you're married and you're looking to have a family and you know, you're dual income household because things are a little bit expensive here. So yeah. you need to both be working. So we said, okay, we know that this is where the market is going. So let's not just give a small little two-bedroom. Let's give a two-bedroom with a maid's room because we know that if it's a dual-income household and both people are working, they will have a helper who will be required. Mm. And why do you want the helper to you know, give them their own space, let them have a little bit of space and security and generally let the house feel a little more welcoming? Mm. So we thought, we've thought about these sort of things. And to a very important point that you mentioned a little while ago, you said that they never deliver what they promise, mm. right? And people have seen it here. So one of the key things I was telling my consultant and my contractor and my team in general is that whatever I'm putting on this you know, brochure, right? It has to be exactly the same as the final product, no matter yeah. what. And I've been in situations where it's not. Mm -hmm. And we have made every effort. And okay, I'm not going to say 100%, but 95%, everything is the same. Mm -hmm. And I challenge anyone, I mean, even you, come and have a look. You know, I, I say this to other media people who I speak with, friends, family, anyone. Come and have a look yourself mm -hmm. at my product. I do, I do not want to talk about it and I don't expect you to believe me. My project right now is about 75% complete. We're handing over in January of 2022. Awesome. Um, there's a sales office, there's a site, um, there's a show unit, there are other units which are unfurnished because I want people to see it. I want them to yeah. feel it. I want them not to take my word. Come to the site yourself, see it yourself. There's no BS on my site, right? Yeah. And that's a challenge to anyone. And I've invited numerous people and fortunately for us, Whoever has come has always said how impressed they are with the quality. Mm -hmm. And 
obviously the connectivity. So if you're going on, where do you live in Dubai? Uh, just down by Al uh, Muntazar, so by Jebel Ali. Jebel Ali, Jebel Ali. okay. Yeah. So if you take Al Khel Road from wherever, from Tikam or Barsha mm-hmm. Heights, take Al Khel Road going towards Marina or Jebel Ali, yeah. um, JVT, Jumeirah Village Triangle, is on the right side, right? It's yeah. not in Jumeirah Village Circle, which is a concrete jungle right now. Yeah, um, I know it because JV- I used to live in JVT, actually. I lived in JVT okay. for a couple of years, so I know that. So, yeah. so it's the first building on the plot on, on in JVT. It's District 7, the first building you see right mm-hmm. off Al-Khel Road. Right. Um, and it's directly connected right off the main highway with the only building on that side. There's nothing around us. You can go see. We have, we have built. Remember, we started in January 2020. We constructed for three months. We stopped and then we restarted in uh, November 2020. Sorry, in November 2020. Mm-hmm. So everything that you see has been built in 15 months. Right. It was sand when we on October 15th, 2020. It was all sand, mm-hmm. right? And now there's a seven-story building with a podium and a roof, which is 75% complete. Ask anyone in Dubai. That is literally unprecedented while keeping quality in check. And that is a function of me as the leader from our investor group, pushing people on site, keeping them in line, making them understand the importance of quality, timely delivery, and doing what we promised. Mm. Making them understand that on a daily basis and then moving towards that goal. So so important because I think, uh, unfortunately, we have seen it before on the ground here where they go up quickly, but the quality of what went up exactly. d- definitely isn't going to stand the test of time. And and people, once they've been living in it for even just a few months, you know, things start yeah. falling off, things stop stop working. Because yes, it was it was it was constructed very quickly, but the 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 really key element, which is the quality of it, was not really at the f- forefront of that side of things. But um, it sounds and like you said, if, if the proof is in the pudding, so have people come down, go and have a look yeah. at it and make a judgment for yourself. You're going to be able exactly. to see it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm not preaching anything, but all I'm saying is that we want to educate the, the everyday person mm. that you do not have to compromise on how you live and how you invest in Dubai, yeah. right? You do not have to say, okay, I want to spend, I have a 2 million dirham budget. I want a townhouse. For example, forget, forget it's apartments, right? We're doing mm-hmm. apartments. Pretend you want a townhouse only and I only have 2 million dirhams. Does that mean that you need to buy in you know, 25 minute drive away in the middle of nowhere. Do you need to compromise on that? Or if you want to buy within Dubai, within the heart of whatever new Dubai, do you need to compromise on quality or do you need to compromise mm-hmm. by buying something that's 10 years old? And that's why it's available at 2 million because now it's sort of lived its time. Uh, we want people to understand that there is a better way to live. Um, the experience of living in a building is not just about finishing work, going, sleeping, sending your kids to school and going back to work. You have to enjoy life as well. You have to be happy. When you come home, you know, you shouldn't be worried about a small dingy space where if you need to take a meeting at home, you know, you're stuck because your kids are running on your head. Mm. Um, You need the breathable space. You need natural light. What I love about JVT as a community is that they've got two schools They've got parks and playgrounds now, all redone and fitted and everything. 
the community mall, which is less than a kilometer down the road from us, is opening, I think, Jan or Feb next year. Yeah, and that's Right huge. across, yeah, that's yeah. huge. And right across the road from us is a new hotel, which is opening up, which is from, for, for an old company I used to work for. They're opening up their hotel with restaurants, with bars, with a spa, with everything. So right. you now have the convenience of not just... Um, you know, having a park and or not just having stuff within the building, but you've got connectivity within the community, mm. right? Everything is literally at your doorstep. Yeah. And this is how we picked our plots. So again, it all boils down to our initial strategy. Yeah. We said, look, we want to develop in areas where the layperson will need to live because there's connectivity. Um, we want to make sure that these communities are semi-developed or developed. We don't want to be in a new community where there isn't much facilities. Yeah. And we want to build something with quality, which is affordable and sustainable. Yeah. So as an example, the solar panels that we installed in the building reduce the common area service charges by, or just say DWA bill by 25% annually. Right. 25% annually, which means... That's that you are paying less in service charges, yeah. right? So, Which is a great thing because exactly, those things are so, killer. <laughs> exactly. So we thought about this from the start. We're like, okay, how will you like to live? What would you need in this place to be comfortable, to be happy, and to live long-term? We don't want you to come stay two years, rent it, and thank you very much, move to the next place. So these are important things. The materials that we use um, – we are LEED Green Building Certified. We save about 440 metric tons of carbon emissions annually, which is huge. And again, people are not educated about this, mm. but as Dubai moves to being you know, one of the best cities in the world to live, more sustainable, more urban, more areas to, I guess, meet communally than to just stay in a bedroom, these are all important things. And we believe we're sort of taking the first step, you know, in this. Mm, it sounds like it definitely. And it's, it's one of the questions I've got written down here because and you've, you've partially answered that, but I've, I've been in the UAE for the last 15 years, full time and, and on and off for, for the last 20. The word sustainable obviously gets thrown around a lot now in terms of what, what what's not trend. Well, it is trending, but it's also a, it's a global movement to understanding that the stuff that we need to do to, to help our planet and help ourselves in a city where we pretty much have to have AC running almost 24 hours a day, 365 yeah. days a year, how sustainable can we be? So, you know, I think, um, I remember I read a report somewhere that I think UAE as a country gives the most carbon emissions per capita in the world. Right. Okay. And partly because, yes, we run ACs all the time. We are not very good with plastic use, so on and so forth, but also we're a small country with quite a lot of people and a lot of development over yeah. the last, you know, 20, 25 years. Mm -hmm. um, so look, sust living sustainably, I can't speak for the whole country, all right? Mm -hmm. But what I can say is that within the project, we want to give people the option of doing it. Right. Mm -hmm. Again, it's all small steps. If you think about, oh, my God, how are we going to, you know, make Dubai sustainable or 
JVT sustainable, that's impossible to do. Mm-hmm. You need to start one sort of apartment or one building at a time, right? For us, being sustainable means energy efficiency within the building, water efficiency within the building. So, mm-hmm. you know, how do we use wastewater? How do we recycle it? How do we use it for our greenery? Um, and of course, adding things like solar panels, et cetera, to reduce the energy energy consumption in the building. So that's the steps that we have taken. Now, it's very hard to balance that with design and with affordability. Yeah, right. Sure. It's not an easy task <laughs> because, again, you know, you know, people have a set price point. You know that your design still needs to be pleading. You can't just, you know, live in a jungle, for example, and yeah. you know, put up a room there. So it's not easy, but it, with some planning right? With a clear concept, it's executable. And that's what we're doing, mm-hmm. right? That's exactly what we're doing. And we want um, we want people to come and see that, look, again, it's not a compromise. You know, we believe we found the right balance. Now, is it the right balance for everyone? Definitely not. There are people who will buy there and I'm sure they'll have two, three, five things they hate, right? It's, it's just part of what it is. And there are people who love everything. So it's about finding that right balance. It's about learning and improving constantly because we are now getting into the design of our next project, which we will hopefully launch probably in June or July next year. But we learn from you know the mistakes we made or the things that I want changed based on you know actually seeing it. Because remember, design stage, it's all in the mind. Yeah. Once it's constructed and you see it physically, you're like, okay, no, I want this little bit lower, this little bit higher, this little bit different. So it's constantly learning, which is super exciting. Um, and again, you know, as people buy and move in, you get more feedback. Um, you get to understand that, okay, look, this really was pointless, but this is something you could have done, which would have actually made a difference in how we live. And we want to learn, we want to grow, and we want to start showing people what we think living sustainably means. Mm-hmm. And hopefully it's the right way. And if it's not, it's all right. We, we have another project to do and we will get it right. And we will yeah. go hand in hand with, you know, Dubai's 2040 urban master plan, which I think is an excellent, excellent um, concept and strategy uh, mm. for the next 10, 15 years. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, the UAE has always been leading the way in, in, in many things. And I think from a, Sometimes as a lay person, you sort of look at it and say, what is happening? And why is all of this being built? And who's this for? And where is it going? But then when you look at the the vision is that you know, the lay person is looking at the next two to three years, the country is looking at the next 20 to 40 years exactly. and beyond, you know, and, and it's it even was, it was very, um, very visible to me when I... I lived in JLT when it was being built and uh, and only a few buildings were there. And it's like, what on earth is going on here? This is horrible being here. And I remember, I can't remember the the, the name, but the, 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 the guy that runs DMCC said, once this is finished, people will understand. And now when you look at it, you're like, oh yeah, that kind of makes yeah, sense now, exactly. but it took that long <laughs> to get it there, but they could see that already. And even, you know, back to the guys that had the the original hard rock cafe and when they built yeah. it, they said, well, why would you build it all the way out there in the middle of nowhere? And then of course, when, when they eventually shut the doors, it was the middle of, of Dubai, Dubai um, yeah. a, a very, you know, very valuable piece of land. So the forethought and foresight, I think, of the UAE is something that on a day-to-day basis, we sometimes forget for, for sure. And I think, um, you know, with the 50-year anniversary coming, 
they've already put into plan certain things to increase the middle class in Dubai, right? Mm. The newer industries um, with manufacturing focused initiatives, you will need more people to come and work in those roles who will then contribute to the economy. So I think they're now trying to build the middle class and build facilities and amenities for the middle class, uh, not just situated in Dera and Karama, you know, move it out towards the new heart of Dubai. So I think that's, that's a very important initiative. And I believe, look, Dubai always comes up with some trump card. You know, it was the expo. Now the expo has started. I'm sure there's going to be some other trump card that's going to come up as the cherry on top. Um, and uh, hopefully that spurs the economy, you know, for the next 10, 15 years as, as the yeah. country in, uh, continues to grow. Yeah, no, I'm sure that it will. Like you always have a trump card and it's, it's always interesting to see that. Oh, okay, that's why that's happening. Now, on that note, um, we, we try to keep our episodes relatively short. But one of the questions I wanted to ask you and is one that I ask all our guests is, you obviously are incredibly busy. You're managing you know, a, a huge project. You're managing big numbers, people, teams and everything. What do you do for yourself to keep yourself focused in on this in terms of the question is, is there like a resource that you would always refer to other people who are thinking about going on this journey to read, to look at, to listen to, to a certain exercise, just something that you would recommend to other people that you use or maybe on a daily basis or weekly basis to keep you in focus mode, I guess, is, is the best way of asking this question that keeps you driving ahead forwards that you always fall back on. If there's some of these big, big situations that come up, you fall back on obviously your, your experience of overcoming obstacles, but is there something that you fall back on and say, you know what, I just need to look at that or read that or listen to that or speak to that person even that you would recommend for other people? Um, all right. So there are a couple of things I do. I don't know if this will answer your question directly, but let me, let me just say it anyway. Yeah. I think the first thing is a mindset. So I don't believe that my work is a job. I don't know how to put that. So like I have my wife and my kids, I have what I do, mm -hmm. right? And for me, this company and uh, growing it, and I guess it was similar in my previous jobs as well, is that it's not a job, right? It's part of my life. Mm -hmm. That's how I look at it. So it's a mindset, which is, you know, I'm trying to explain that. So for me, I, it's yes, there are times when I need to just step back, take, you know, a couple of deep breaths, examine the situation, take sort of emotion out of it and mm -hmm. think of it with a clear mind, uh, sort of brass taxes type, you know, plus minus, what is the best decision to make? And that's what we did, for example, when we stopped construction. Emotionally, it was a very tough decision, but practically it was the right decision and we've benefited from it now. But at the same time, I don't think of what I do as work. So it's not a chore. It's not me coming home and saying, oh, wow, I've had such a tough day. And, you know, it's been so, I don't think of it that way. For me, it's, there's an obstacle. Yes, for sure. There are obstacles every day. How do we deal with it? Understand the situation understand the people involved in the situation, understand how they are thinking. Right? That's so important for me. So yeah. if I am, so my master developers, for example, Nikhil, if they have rejected some, something we've submitted, I step back and say, okay, from their point of view, why have they rejected it? What are the rules and regulations? How can we maneuver and come to sort of a, a middle ground? And how can I represent this? 
So I always take the time to think and I always start with a couple of deep breaths, take a step back, think about the situation holistically, right? That's super important. Understand the different solutions and the different repercussions of each solution and then make an informed decision. That helps me a lot because I know that as far as you can think through most options, yes, there'll be some new ones that come up, but once I've thought of all the options, once I've accepted the outcomes of those options, then I know I'm going in the, into this decision, you know, understanding the, the consequences of it. So that's very helpful for me. Mm. In terms of do I read something or fall back on, you know, I, I always go back to saying, look where I started, right? I started as an account manager, uh, you know, dealing and worrying about you know, 10, 20, 30,000 dirham, you know, investments now to dealing with hundred millions dirhams worth of investments. Um, and the principles of dealing with people don't change. Right? right. So I deal with, I deal with the situation based not only on how the people are based, not only how the situation is, but also how the people are. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's super important because once you understand who your partners are and how they will react to the situation. You can gauge on how best to present it, how best to take it away from them, how best to rebut them if you need to. So, and that's for me as a de facto, I guess, leader of this organization, that's my key strength is mm -hmm. and I sort of come, come full circle because this is what we started with yeah. is that how do you read people? How do you deal with people on a daily basis, whether they're your construction manager, your lead investor, or the blue collar worker, you know, putting up the bricks at your site? How do you deal with them? And how do you get them to see your vision or your team's vision for this particular product or journey? So I don't know if that answered your question. There's no one person or one magic book that mm -hmm. I fall back on. Um, I I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but I, I don't. That's the honest truth. I just sort of go within myself and try and understand and deal with the situation practically and take out emotion where I can and add it where it's required. Mm -hmm. No, I think it's a great answer. And, and then this is why it's, such a, it's a, a good question from my perspective, because every answer is right. Every answer is how that person I'm talking to is dealing with it. And I think that it's actually um, a very pragmatic way of approaching it i guess the next question would be is there anything you do to practice going inside of yourself to do that because that's what people are saying was well, was it do you meditate do you do this do you how how do you get yourself to the point where you're able to do that even i suppose is the, the so, question you know that's that's um so when i was younger in my 20s you know obviously you're in university and growing up very um individual you know because when you're in boarding school you have a very you're very individual you fend for yourself you do everything for yourself yeah. And uh, you, you work hard, you party hard, you do all of that. But I got into uh, um, meditation and breathing. And I'm not saying you need to sit for 45 minutes and, you know, mm -hmm. astral projection or whatever. But breathing for me is very important. Mm -hmm. And calming my mind. Excuse me. So learning how when you feel worried, when you feel scared, when you feel nervous or happy, you know, people usually get lost in the emotion of it, mm -hmm. right? And you react. What I learned to do 
is when I feel these things, I mean, I'm not talking about every second of every day, but at important times, when I feel these things, I know when it's the right time for me to step back, understand what I'm feeling, understand why I'm feeling it, right? Understand if I don't like that feeling, then understanding what the solution is to alleviate that, yeah. right? And then putting it into action. Right. So for me, that's what helps me. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's a matter of being in that moment saying, OK, right now I'm feeling nervous. Why am I feeling nervous? Who is making me nervous? How can I stop being nervous? And how can I start putting into process being less nervous? Mm-hmm. That's that's it for me. Those four or five things and um, right. big moments in my life. And it's a very good question because I'm remembering now when we went to get the trade license and some of the rules changed in the middle. And this is what I did. I took a step back and I said, okay, you know, we rules changed. We were just one of those unfortunate people who got caught in the middle of the rules changing. But how am I going to deal with the situation? Because that was the precipice. Either you form the company or you go back to work for someone else. Right. Right. Yeah. And you find the solution. So I did that. I went back. Okay. This is what I can do. This is my options, you know, sort of step back from the emotion and then put into play the best way to go forward. Fantastic. Brilliant. I think that's a great answer to the question. And I think it's also a, a great uh, a great point to end on. And just for me to say thank you. And uh, thank you for taking yeah. the time uh, for coming on. I know that you're super busy. And also just to wish you all the best for for, for launch in January. Not not long now. <laughs> yeah, so I'm sure there's a lot, a lot going on. Uh, wish you all the best for that. And uh, And again, just thank you very much for taking the time to come on. Yeah, it was my pleasure. I really appreciate, um, you know, great questions. Um, I, I love doing conversations uh, rather than interviews. Yeah. And that's always a positive. And Barry, like I said, I want you to come to the site. I know you're also super busy with all this stuff, but call me through the PR people or just, you mm-hmm. know, to get my number, please message me. And I would be happy to show you so that even your listeners, you know, if they ever drop you a message, and say, was this guy actually talking the truth or just, you know, spewing, you know, for yourself, unbiased view that, you know what? Okay. Maybe not everything, but at least 90% of what this guy said was true. So take you up on it whenever you're free. Uh, I would love to host you. Thank you, Mada. Thank you very much. And I will do, because yeah, definitely that whole idea of being able to legitimately say, you know what? Yep. I've seen it. (laughs) I've seen it with my own eyes. So I will uh, at some point take you up on that. And again, thank you very much for, for the time. My for, every, for everybody that's listening in, thank you very much for listening in. As always, if there's anyone that you would like us to have a chat with, then please drop us a line at wishlist at swanglenese.rocks or hit us up on social media. Thanks very much for tuning in on this one and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Swanglenese with your hosts, Barry Lee Cummings and Oscar Endermo. We'll catch you next time. Hi, Barry and Oscar. We have yet to meet. My name is Elena Agaragimova. I'm a co-founder of Bessern. Uh, recently came across your podcast. Love the topics that you guys are covering. Very diverse, very entrepreneurial. Um, wanted to see if you're open to have a chat about some of the ways that we're transforming the way people work in organizations. And again, we're Bessern. You can look us up. You can Google us. You can Google my name as well. And you'll see a full record of the impact that we're making in the workplace. Again, it's Bessern. B-E-S-S-E. 
E-R-N. My name is, again, Elena Agurgimova. Um, we're, we're really believe that everybody can have fulfilling careers, and uh, we are developing solutions to, to help people do that. I would love to come and just chat and share with you with how can we as individuals as well as leaders really be equipped to help um, our organizations and our people succeed, essentially. Um, hope to speak to you guys.